You got a pool over there? We have a pond in the back. We have a pool and a pond. A pond would be good for you. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down shining in. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. The f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down shining. Load up, Stacks and Jacks. Time, time out. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 375. NASA Futures up 1950. So we're creeping along to the upside here, as we seem to be doing all the time these days. Uh, Wonder if, if or when that will end. We have Mr. Flanagan, Mr. Merry Christmas, Flanagan. Merry Christmas to you, Tom and Greg. Yeah. The uh, so guess who had the big day yesterday at the, the restaurant business. <laughs> uh, Greg, you should know this. We have a uh, a few ladies, some from Ohio, some from Arizona, that write me from time to time, and uh, they always say that for Christmas, well, maybe not this year. They always got Chinese. Food. Well, I hear last yesterday, D is the place by me at a three-hour wait. The Chinese place. Yep. So there you have it, Greg. You should run the Chinese business yesterday. Yeah, they do well. That's that's a huge money maker, especially on the you know, majority Christian uh, holidays. Yeah. The uh, there are, there are a few places I think that were open, but not very many. I mean, uh, a couple of a couple of friends of mine had called their. Chinese restaurant of choice uh, to check on their hours, and they said, "Well, get in here by three o'clock, or you'll never get in." Yeah, yeah, we're uh, so it was a healthy day. Yeah, well, it's because uh, I walked down Armitage. There wasn't a, it wasn't a car about it. So all of a sudden, there were like five cars in front of the Chinese place. So I figured, <laughs> yeah, those places are doing well. But because uh, like the uh, the Tripoli was open later, I guess, but. Uh, I spotted Kincaid's open. I don't think anybody had a kitchen open, but a couple of places were open open. Well, maybe that's why I saw, I was served, uh, I think, an Instagram or Twitter video, and it was explaining how they do their meatballs, or at least um, one way that one guy was doing a popular meatball recipe. And he actually put the, he put gelatin and broth uh, together and, and then ran it through a sieve later into the meatball mix, and then he made the meatballs. It was interesting. Um, wow. So every, every you know, bite would be a little bit more juicy, is the theory. Really? Because you, he did his, essentially, you know, broth jello, and then ran it through a sieve. He pushed it through into the meatball mix later, 
and then made his meatballs and then when you cook them up and then eat them later it supposedly it tastes much better than doing regular meatballs yeah I don't know what the, I'm I a, believe I'm, it I'm kind of a, a meatball aficionado it's all about matching up the uh, the fat in the, in the meat with the amount of breadcrumbs and the amount of water you use so it's, yeah, all, it's, it's mean, a touch thing if you've got 80-20 or something like you know really heavy breadcrumbs it, it could work that way too yeah, you have to. It's, it's all about the, you know, that's when people say, give me the recipe. I go, there is no, I'll give you the recipe, but the recipe doesn't cut it. It's, it's realizing what, are, what kind of cow you're working with or whatever you're using in there. Just saying. Yeah. The well, delicate mix. It's, oh, but I mean, the mistakes aren't, aren't horrible. They uh, they actually sell them at the uh, S&T on 111th Street. They're pretty good. So if you're, if you're hit for time, you just go buy them there and roll them up and fry them. Uh, fry them up or bake them, brown them, and put them in your sauce, and you're good to go. Just saying. So, John, did you, uh, we had, uh, uh, Watery's group over on Saturday, and, uh, then went with my brothers on, on Sunday, so that was fun. So it was fun. We had a good, you, you, uh, you went to your family as well? Yeah, it was at my brother and sister-in-law's, and their two girls are in for college, and an old friend of my sister-in-law's who, uh, they've reconnected with, you know, childhood friends and her husband and a neighbor or two, and um, it was a very nice time. Well, cool. Yeah, it's, uh, we were, uh, didn't do any, I'm not big on the shopping piece, but, uh, got anything it rained enough? I mean, it was... Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the trip home was pretty moist, I'll say. Yeah, the, uh, well, but it was, you know, I hope everybody had a, a good weekend and we'll have a it's a quiet week down here, I, w- I would think. Uh, and then we'll see what happens for the new year. And, you know, crazy stuff happened. The market and other places, market's a little bit high. I, uh, I did go see uh, one of the used car guy on uh, Saturday, his character. But he did say, as a matter of fact, it's kind of the first story here this morning. He did say, you know, car prices are up 40% and they haven't come down a dime. I said, you are correct, sir. The uh, And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, there's an article here about... They pull out these articles all over the place. I mean, they're all kind of the same stuff, but they all say it in a little different way. This is uh, uh, written by Alex Herring, H-A-R-R-I-N-G, and it says here, Inflation has created a dark cloud over how everyday Americans view the economy. And, you know, residual anger about high inflation in recent years appears to have soured consumers' view of the economy. The discontent comes even as a strong labor market, appreciating home values and a stock market rebound, has made some positive about their financial situation. Now, the question is where you where you land on that list of what those things you have. Um, but here it really is. Despite all the you know the the people who try and tell you sort of differently, uh, you know, they basically talk about how the uh, um, University of Michigan shows consumer sentiment while improving as a far cry from pre-pandemic levels. December's index rating showed sentiment improved by almost 17 cents percent from a year prior. It was still only nearly 30% off from where it sat during the same month in 2019. The main issue is that high prices are real, it really hurt. Americans are still trying to come to grips with the idea that we're not going back to the extended period of low inflation, low interest rates that we had in the 2010s. It's not really a current reality. Um, but here, here really is, I think, the... Uh, the the issue that everybody's dealing with, well, I've said it a million times, so, is the, uh, 
He says, Hsu, whoever the hell Hsu is, sees reason for optimism when zooming in. Sentiment has largely improved from its all-time low, seen in June of 2022. The same month, the consumer price index rose 9.1% from a year earlier as people started noticing inflationary pressures recede. One notable caveat was a drop in sentiment this past May, which he tied to the U.S. debt ceiling, blah, blah, blah. But here, herein lies, I think, the rub. And I, I don't know how we ever get around this, get back to this, what we do. He says there's still more job openings. The problem is the uh, hourly pay has continued rising, um, but at a slower rate. But it was about 20% higher in November than it was in the same month four years ago. Now, my issue always has been that the, that the, uh, the prices are up 40%, and therein lies the rub. And, it, and right. there doesn't appear to be any, you know, make it 38, make it 37, but it's way above 20. As the guy in the used car place said, car prices are up 40% and they're not coming down. Well, okay, uh, so that's that's a problem. And uh, that 20% gap is something we can't talk about, we can't address. And clearly the Fed has gone move beyond it, saying as long as the, the rate going forward from here has been... Uh, is 2%, but now why would anybody, if everybody thinks, or maybe you sense, that the rate over the last few years has been 40%, not 20 why would you believe the 2% going forward and not think that's 4 John? Yeah. Right. And as far as the robust job market, Tom, I mean, uh, the response to these supposedly rising wages are, that I think, hours are being cut back and people are, are stretched to find another job because they can't make ends meet on the one or the ones that they already have. So it is. I, don't, I wouldn't call this a robust job market by any stretch. Well, plus you can get into the into math issues, not to hit everybody up with math stuff the day after Christmas, but you can hit, you can hit up with, if, if you, and you could look at the uh, some of these numbers and people really didn't get much of a raise. I mean, let's say this all started in 2020, okay? Well, okay, it, it sort of didn't because the increase in wages from 20, 2000 to 2020 was was piss poor at best, right? It was up, you know, 4% or 5 or 10% maybe, or, well, probably, probably 10 or 15% over over a 20-year period. So if, if somebody, if all of a sudden the inflation rate goes up by a huge amount and cars go from, you know, whatever, 25 to 40, and somebody gets a raise from $10 an hour in a restaurant to, to 12, uh, really? Yep. You know, it's two bucks. It's like saying a stock is down from a hundred to two and then one day it goes up to two fifty. It's up okay, it's up twenty five percent, but really it's up fifty cents. Right? But there's a right, and I still hear you know, it's your your bugbear Tom that you know the the headlines say inflation is decreasing. Well of course it's not increasing, it's just the rate of increase seems to be dropping off a little, which I guess is a positive. But it's hardly time to start saying inflation is dropping. Well, and, and technically, inflation, the rate of change of prices, probably is dropping. Or not is anymore. Yeah. But it was, oh, yeah. Uh, right. But that's, but that's it's not the same as the price level. Right. right. And I don't really see anything dropping. I mean, there's, actually, there's a few things that are dropping. Gasoline certainly come down. Uh, the... Uh, Price. It's three forty nine. I just saw in my neighborhood yesterday, which is the lowest it's been in a while. I paid two ninety three in the burbs. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's it's there's, there's the rub. Yeah, taxes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's surprising? Uh, 
Greg, you're our, our futures guy. Have you ever seen the uh, the spread between uh, the 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 crude and the uh, the product, whatever you want to call it, what they call it the refinery spread? Those guys got to be dying. Of course, nobody cares when they're dying, right? Yeah, I don't think people care too much, but uh, let's see. I can take a look for you. Yeah, because I mean, it's got to be when you look at uh, our Bob is is well. We'll look and see. Our Bob is. Uh, we'll look and see before we even get to uh, traffic weather sports. We've got oil. All right, just take a look here. We've got oil is tw- up twenty one cents, seventy three seventy seven. So there's forty five gallons in a, in, a, in a mix. All right, so that's a buck sixty something. Um, our Bob is uh, two point one three. All right, so if um, Gasoline is two ninety three where I bought it in Illinois. Well, the, since they since they pay you pay sales tax on others taxes, which is really screwy. Uh, I'm going to say we're still at probably eighty seven, eighty five cents a gallon um, in taxes. So I don't see where the hell there's any profit for the station guy in there. Do you? Not to no. mention you got to drive it over there. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. You know, no, nobody nobody cares about that. I mean, we have the uh, you know the I'm not. I'm not throwing out a, a, you know, any kind of a big, you know, let's give them dinner for the oil companies. But the fact is, when the, when the prices go up, we have every White House in the world wanting to have excess profit tax and everything. I don't think they're making any dough now. If they are, it's very little. Who the refiners? The refiners. Yeah, they're in trouble. Uh, I don't know. They they put out heavy dividends and they still seem to have the money to. Well, I mean, they, they had a. A couple of very good years. I'm that. I'm saying is they make a lot of dough sometime and they make very little sometime. And everybody bitches and moans and they make a lot. Nobody says a boo and they make a little or none. Yeah, that was the you know entirety of a couple of years ago. Yeah. So we're not we're holding out a uh, you know tag team for them. What I'm saying is it, it, this 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 price goes up and down. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. They also what they they've. Turned up the dial so much. I think they're at thirteen point two or thirteen point three million barrels a day now. Yeah. So, what they've lost, and I mean, they've definitely picked up some in volume. Well, the uh, as you know, and I tends to happen when the prices go higher. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's, a it's nice little coincidence of well, capitalism. Plus, the not that we have any right wingers on this show, but it's not a week goes by, John, without somebody telling me that Biden absolutely has decimated the oil industry. We just we just popped through, what we're, we're in record production now since the guy's been in office. I now, think it's thirteen. Two, yeah, we right around. I sent that around last week. Yeah, it's. Uh, we it's went to. Uh, let, let, let me dig it up here while we're while we're while we're axing about it. The um, I have it right here in my in my favorites. And again, my my point here is not is, this is not a political lambasting of anybody. What it is 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 the industry. Has massive long swings, and it's it's kind of bigger than than just about anybody than just about anybody in office, at least in the short term. We saw the same thing in grains, really, when when the crush margins, meaning the crack of the crack spread, only applied to beans. Uh, when when that went doubled and tripled, the processors, call it ADM Cargill, and and people in Bungie, people who actually process soybeans, who buy them from the farmers. They were running the plants, call it three shifts and, and overtime as much as they could because you know your profit margin has 
has <laughs> increased substantially when the you're when you're selling or when you're buying beans for call it similar prices and selling your your products for 1.5 it's that's a huge incentive to really turn on and keep on the machinery in that the same way the farmers were saying wow there's a huge demand for beans here and so they were more likely to plant more um, plant more and say burn the soil a little bit more just because the opportunity was there so you get the very similar when oil goes 100 120 or whatever whatever it was when uh, I believe Ukraine was invaded that that's just a huge incentive for the oil refiners to really turn the dial to 11 and keep it there for as long as as long as they can well the uh it's you know you have your 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 refineries don't ever really want to shut down because they do they really screw themselves up um yeah i'm looking right here at the weekly oil production charts and you are correct we went to 13.3 which is a, a new record uh is the uh, week of 12-15. But now, in fairness, uh, it's uh, 3-6-2020, right before uh, COVID, and Trump was in office, we had reached 13 million barrels a day. 13,000 thousands, that would be 13 million. Which, so in other words, as soon as COVID started, it dropped way down. Now, you sure as hell can't blame that on Trump. Uh, it just that's just the way the world bounced at that point, and we got down to I'm going to say uh, our lowest week here. If I can get the, if I can steady my hand here, I'm going to say we got down under ten thousand barrels, ten under under uh, ten million barrels a day. Uh, no, this is weekly. We got down under 10, 10 million, of, and we got the lowest we were in a long time was. In 2010, we we're down to like, uh, you know, 3.9 million barrels a week. So we're way the hell up from that. But this this comes and goes over a period of time. But I'm saying right now we are absolutely at the tippy top of production. Yeah, and that's <coughs> coming <coughs> off coming off high prices and solid margins. Yeah, and you'd think that the all the acquisitions that have happened in the fracking space that now the the larger refiners who didn't have the capacity to really their their expansion was finding new new places well now they've bought the new places and they're able to use the fracking technology to really gear up and, and go down eat much easier than it was before so they're much more flexible um yeah so jan uh, you know it, again it, it kind of transcends politics now the question might be okay well you know biden has stopped uh uh, federal land stuff. Okay, but now, how many how many federal lands leases are there just so people can say they have the leases they never intend to, to drill there in the first place? But a lot of this stuff, you, unless you really know the detail, for people to zoom in on a headline, oh God, this administration cut acreage in, you know, in uh, U.S. lands by 20%. That, that acreage might have been there for 150 years. It may not have. It may actually be... So I'm saying, unless you know the detail... It's really hard to get your, your, your underwear tied up in a knot on this stuff, isn't it, or no? Well, I, I just don't understand 
if if that's the case, if your production is up and you know all time high or whatever, what's the reason for the rhetorical war that the administration has against fossil fuels? And just over the weekend, you know, predicting and and sort of almost mandating a date by which you know gas driven cars will not be available, won't be produced, and can't be bought, um, and all the things that people laughed about at the beginning of twenty twenty three that. We're not going to come after your gas stoves and, and all this stuff, and, it, and it's it's all been proven to have been you know shell game. That's exactly what they're doing. So, what's the reason for for bad? I have no idea. I have no idea. The industry that's doing so well. There's there's no question that the performance is different than the rhetoric. <laughs> I mean, well, and duh, what's, yeah, I mean, what's the reason for the rhetoric? Is, is what's bothering I, me. There, there appears because to be because it's endless, Tom. It's just it's nonstop. It's nonstop. It's, it's getting more shrill all the time. So. It's nonstop and it's insane. The idea that you can't have a gas stove. I mean, come on, or or gas. I mean, a gas furnace. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet is inc- well. I'm gonna I'm gonna where's you know, where's Carl when you need him. I'm gonna say, depending on where you're getting your your energy from. I always was taught that the that the most the biggest waste of electricity is having an electric stove because you had a had electric heat. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Electric heat was it was because you had a you made the energy miles away, went over lines, and all you did was degrade it the whole way, and it ended up being way more inefficient than uh, than just burning gas in a high in a high high efficiency furnace. I mean, I don't, especially if your utility company is using gas. We we seem to be the rhetoric does not seem to match this whole mess. I don't get. Plus, this whole idea of electric cars, I I'm not positive from cradle to grave. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see some some stuff there that is isn't. Uh, Filtered one way or the other, but to me, I don't, I don't know. Well, in the rhetoric, like in, in New York State, it's translated into action where you know, new construction—I forget what the target date is—but it's not that far off in the future where you know construction of of residential or commercial buildings over a certain size cannot use natural gas as its heating source. I know it's crazy. Um, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, that that isn't just a rhetorical flourish. That's a, a you know that's a crackdown. That's a prohibition. On you know the future of that as something that that's proven to be a cheap and you know steady source of, of energy for a lot of people, but the climate is not too hospitable half of the year. I don't. I don't, I don't talking. Why? Why can't we just realize that thirty years from now, we'd love to be cleaner every day along the way, like we have been the last thirty years, and let's just let's get there intelligently, and and and, on, and, and as and as the developments occur. Do a little more nuclear, a little more this, a little more That's that. That's not good enough, Chief. Well, that, yeah. I mean, for a significant contingent of the, call it under 30 population, they're full, full electric. This is what we're going to do. Anybody who's polluting is. I don't have to be a slave to somebody who can't read. I'm talking about, <laughs> well, <laughs> slave can't can't read. I'm saying I can't be. I, I, don't, I can't be a, a most of the world. I, I can't be just, just because people believe most of this, the people. and because can't can't work their way through what we're actually doing right now. And what out of the six billion people in the world, if you expect half of them to eat, you better have some power. Right, but I'm talking about in the U.S., say under thirty or especially under twenty-five. There's a set, and I think there's pandering to that. Well, sure set there is. Because sure there is. You know, that's where you can pick up. But I mean, I'm not most. going to, if 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 their conclusions are early or wrong, I'm not going to. Why why would I listen to them? Well, 
in their view, they're not wrong. Okay. In, in the long run, you know, everybody is killing the earth and we're all going to be dead. Uh, we're so, all going to be dead anyway. Yeah, but your, your gas engine is the enemy and people burning, say, I don't know how, what the, what the average is, but if you're not, you know, along for the ride on their ideological oh. program, you know, you're the enemy. Okay, but it's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't mind that. Yeah, but that's that's what's happening. What? Why? The well, but, but for some for some reason, easy to pick up. We've, we've forgotten to mention to these people. Numbers don't have anything to do with it. Well, I, well, I get right. that. Oh, without a doubt, I, I get that. Uh, what I'm saying is, just just because uh, because you 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 forget you you forget. I don't know if they're forgetting. It's a choice that's happened that's saying... If you, if, how many people who have that point of view will ever even consider how much energy it takes of the old kind, by the to way? To get an iPhone or to get, to, to to get, get a, the electric To get a thousand pounds of lithium out of the ground in Russia. Right. But you can't just... Just because they choose to ignore that, I'm an adult. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to try and take all parts of this. There's going to come a time... When we have all kinds of terrific technology, where the last thing we have to do is burn fossil fuels, I'm, I'm, and I look forward to that day, but it's not—it's not today. I'm just yeah, saying. I'm not sure. I'm not sure numbers have much to do with the politics. Uh, um, who is it that said, "Don't ever let the facts get in the way of a good story"? Yeah, something like something yeah. like that. Well, but that, that's been around for like a real long time. Well, Bob, we go to a quick break. John, why don't you hang in there? We haven't heard from Joel. If he pops in, that'd be cool. If not, why don't you hang? That's I'm you're here. You're here. Well, let's not even go to break then because we already Oh, wait a second. Uh, you should have done that. I didn't know I was a hot mic. Sure you are. <laughs> Holy mackerel. What's going on? Well, nothing, but we're not even going to break. We're going to bring you on. What's, what's going on for the new year, bud? By the time you come on next week, oh, what's going on? What are, we, what are we doing here? Uh, well, do you want to talk market or do you want to talk sports? Well, let's talk market real quick so we won't forget to, and then we'll switch okay. to sports. Uh, Santa Claus Rally, day two. Uh, don't know what's standing in front of it. Can the S&P cash, you know, get up to the all-time high? I mean, this is just a Goldilocks scenario in the market. I mean, there's nothing more than you can ask for than the Fed pivot before a recession, uh, earnings projections declining, but the market's still rising. Uh, ride it out. Ride Santa Claus out. You know, this is going to be the second day today. We have uh, three more days and then see what happens. You know, uh, it continues into the end of the year and see what happens at the turn. I mean, what more could you ask for in this market to end 2023? Are you going to be the rat that sneaks off Thursday, just in case? Uh, I am a rat. And I, I'll, I'm out on Thursday. I'm out on, uh, I won't be with you guys next week. I'm, uh, I'm going to be out uh, Thursday, Friday, and then through Wednesday of next week. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad Maybe if Michigan wins, I may call in uh, next week uh, from my vacay. I doubt I'll be up that early, though, or I'll be in the pool. Uh, the big game, Michigan-Alabama. You got to give a shout-out to my Motor City Kitties. The first uh, NFL yeah. North Division title in 30, well, it used to be the Central, but whatever, uh, in 30 years. And, Chief, you know this uh, this game on uh, 
on Saturday night for the Cowboys because uh, San Fran lost last night. That could be for home field advantage yeah, throughout yeah. the NFC playoffs. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then, of course, Michigan, Alabama. I just I can't sleep at night trying to figure out how to stop that Jalen Milrow. Drawing up some offensive plays. I'm just looking forward to a lot of football and uh, uh, hopefully uh, a trip to uh, Houston uh, the second week of January, or two weeks from yesterday. So, well, sure, I sure hope you get to go. That'd be fun for you. Yeah, yeah, but it market. I mean, the market's the market. Just going back to that. If you want to throw any specific things at me, I mean, just for the uh, you know the Santa Claus rally, and then you know we'll see what the rotation happens in January. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, we've been long, really, for the last week or two. Not, not a lot, but I just I I don't know that the little the, the fall off the other day, the rapidity of it has me a little nervous. I'm not uh, so what sh- about that? What about the zero DTE option sell off? Uh, you know, whooping. What do you think about that? You you're an options guy. Let me interview you. What what do you think about that? Um, I'm not. What are they blaming in? The zero DTE, uh, zero dated options expiration. Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what my buddy. And then uh, they said that other people tried to blame it on some chi headlines that were out three hours earlier. So, I it could have been a little. Hey, let's get my uh, puts in the money here. You know, once I hit the spoos at uh, one thirty in the afternoon with a little bit of less liquidity. But hey, I'm not going to be talking this uh, conspiracy theory. But how about uh, how about just when we're creeping up every day? There isn't a seller anywhere. We started to go down. <laughs> we started to go down, and nobody could figure out why we went down. Figured they didn't get the movie, and nobody jumped in to buy. I think it just is. It's just as uh, as thin on the way down as it is on the way up. Yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, it's funny because uh, my buddy uh, Dennis, who I, I host a pre-market prep show with, uh, you know, we used to talk. You know, we did a, a lot of uh, a lot of trading for bike bright trading in uh, uh, late '90s, early 2000s. You know, and uh, it used to seem like when you caught a good break, you know, it was just there was nothing there. You know, the speed of the market on the way down was there, but now with the algos, the way they're programmed market goes up just as fast as it goes down there's no differential you know no differential at all so it's funny that you mentioned that but uh another great year in the books chief always uh enjoy being on with you and uh and the rest of your crew so let's finish up the year strong let's get a couple football victories and pick things up in 2024 when's the last time uh you guys actually won a was before super bowl that was one of the when did the Lions win? Was it fifty eight, fifty seven? Well, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the the world's championship. Uh, you know, back then. Oh, they we've never been to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah. No, uh, us Cleveland Browns, Houston Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are the only uh, are the only teams that haven't been to a Super Bowl. I have a uh, question for you. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure you were around then, but from the original, what is the same question actually? The oldest rivalry in football. What is the the only two teams that actually were there in the Mobile showroom that are still around? Detroit and Green Bay. Eh, eh. Green Bay and Chicago. The oldest rivalry in football. Whoever will think that the oldest probably is Green Bay. It's not. Was the Chicago Cardinals and the Decatur Staley's who became the Chicago Bears? Uh, 
Green Bay, Green Bay came in like six months later, and I'm going to say Detroit maybe nine months later or something. But all the people who were in the in the in the showroom were like the Canton Bulldogs and all a bunch yeah. of other all a bunch of other teams. And in the next few years, I think the Giants and Pittsburgh and those guys piled in, but they weren't there. It was the Cardinals and the Bears. That must have been that must have been even after my dad's uh, 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 before my dad was around. Oh yeah, he was... ain't around anymore. Okay, all right, Chief, gotta hop as always for the last time in 2023. You take care and go go, go blue. Go, yes, go, go blue, blue on your team. Crush Bama. See now he's not talking about them being a basketball school anymore, is he? No, no, I can I can flip hockey, uh, swimming, uh, gymnastics, wrestling, tiddlywinks, whatever yeah. you want. Whatever we're winning, I'm a bad It's like my, my Notre Dame guys. They get down to something about women's lacrosse, and I go, we're starting to get kind of low here. <laughs> All right, Chief. Always great being on with you. I'll speak to you at the turn of yep. the year. Okay. Well, well, we'll blow that break off. Everybody knows where that break was. So, Jan, what did you, what do you make of uh, of uh, Joel's assessment? Well, I, it's, it's positive, and I, I'll go for that because um, – uh, we got to get out of this funk we're in. I mean, there's just there's too much horrible stuff going on around us that you know is easy to get seduced by into thinking we're spinning out of control. But um, I'd like to think there are positive signs. So well, we're going to do a a real real quick break and bring come back with Kenny. John, feel free to hang around because I'd like to have you and Alan for a few minutes. Two professors from different parts of the of the aisle. Be interesting. <laughs> SP futures up four fifty. Nasdaq futures up twenty seven. Be right back. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. I can't believe we drove around all day and there's not a single job in this town. There is nothing, nada, zip. Yeah, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, we're back to Up time out. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up five. Nasdaq Futures up 31. That sounds like Kenny Polcari's last job interview. You want me to work 40 hours a week? What the hell? <laughs> oh, my God. Merry Christmas. Yes, how you are too, you? bud. How are you? How are all, all the fishes? The fishes were great. The fishes were great. Uh, we, we actually tossed it up this year. My kids wanted to do uh, uh, grilled octopus, so we did that, which was new. Uh, but other than that, it was all great. You know, it was a beautiful night here. Not rainy, although it's rainy kind of today, but it was a perfect night. Sat outside. But it was a great evening. We've been uh, yours? we've been dark and dingy and, uh, and rainy for the whole weekend, but it was 60 degrees on Christmas. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the... 
yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, you know, it's, but you know what the weird part is, Kenny? Is it, well, thank God I'm over whatever the mess I had last week, but I must have talked to five different people that had to cancel parties because people got colds and flu and stuff. I mean, it's it's really a cold and yeah. flu season with this weather like this. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I haven't had that so much down here, but I've heard of people, you know, people and friends of ours in New York and stuff that uh, run into that same problem. I mean, you nobody know, likes it when it's five below zero, but in some ways it's a little healthy. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, agreed. It's not. It's just not normal right now, you know. But uh, well, El Nino, eh? El Nino. El Nino. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not not that we're doing a weather thing here, but whenever that happens, there's parts of the world that are warm, and there's parts of the world that are cold. Which are the ones that are cold? Is it like? 90 below in Siberia someplace or something there's always a flip side <laughs> there is a flip side you know down in the in uh, in the Antarctica it's got to be cold and uh, yeah Siberia it's got to be cold <laughs> well I'm not going to Siberia anytime soon so I guess it's, it's sort of okay well, so what do you what do you make of this I uh, I didn't realize what, what the uh, last the other day last week the sell-off was being blamed on what some kind of option traders what's that all about yeah, you know, I, listen, I'm not buying that at all. They're trying to blame it on the zero-day option uh, expiry, you know, which I think it's all very convenient, come up with a new a new reason why the market sold off. How about the market sold off because we've done nothing. We've got in a straight line, uh, and then what's his name? One of the uh, Philly Fed President Harker came out, and while he's not a voting member, he did come out and he said, well, you know, rates may go lower. There's nothing imminent. No one should be planning on it. Uh, you know, the market's too exuberant. And really, that's all the market needed to hear because the fact is, look, it, it has gone up in a straight line. Nothing has really changed. Inflation continues to be at 3%. The economy continues to be strong. Unemployment is still at historic lows. So why are we cutting rates at the moment? Why? The, the Treasury market, by the way, has done a lot of the work. Look where 30-year mortgages went from 8% to now they're they're just below 7%, and five ones you can get them closer to 6%. So that's a huge decline in the rate of interest in terms of mortgages. So the Treasury market's done the work there. That's going to be the same for any other um, uh, 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 commercial lending experience. Rates will have come down. The ones we're not going to get any relief are on revolving credit cards. You think Bloomy's going to cut their 30% rate? Absolutely not. No. So for the Fed to cut rates, none of that's going to help anyone. So the guys that are going to get helped by lower rates, whether it's happening through the Treasury market or with the Fed, are, are really you know the guys in the upper crust. The middle class and the lower class are not going to get are not going to benefit with low rates. There's nothing there that's going to benefit them. Well, we didn't when it went to you zero, know? so in houses maybe, but then you could argue that all you oh, did okay. was pay more for the house. Okay, right, but the, but the houses went straight up in value. So yeah, there so you go again. If they cut rates. You know, they're expecting all these real estate agents, oh, wow, rates are low. Housing market's going to be strong. Guess what? Price is going to continue to go higher because rates are lower. And you and I know that. It's a math problem, right? right. And so, in my opinion, uh, housing prices have to adjust and they have to come down. And the Fed needs to the Fed needs to be strong, in my opinion, and hold rates exactly where they are until there's a signal that something's broken. Now, if, if suddenly the narrative changes and they start cutting rates by, you know, Goldman has now out with five rate cuts next year. Do you realize that? Five rate cuts is what Goldman's calling for next year. I don't, I don't that buy woman, that. woman, she was on, yeah, the head of, I don't know, she was a, she, she was a, a woman at the head of their, one of their departments. Uh, she was on on CNBC on Friday, Thursday or Friday, I forget which day, but she's calling for five. Her department or her research is calling for five quarter point rate cuts next year. Um, there are some people that say there's going to be a rate cut starting at every meeting starting in March. So that's seven rate cuts if that were true. 
which I, is ridiculous to me. The, the economy is not falling off the edge. I have a... I don't know, I probably shouldn't ask you this, but I'm going to anyway, because you, you can handle it. <laughs> um, how is it in this world of uh, micro-regulation from people like FINRA and stuff like that that are all over me and my continuing education, not, not over me personally, that virtually right, no, right. any recommendation from a registered person is considered... How the hell is that not a recommendation? That if none of that happens next year and the market goes in the in the crap hole, how how they didn't give out a well, recommendation? Or if I they tell me if I if I tell somebody to borrow like IBM, I have to be careful. Well, okay, but here's you go. Is that a recommendation, sure or it is. is that an analytical opinion that that's what they think is going to happen? Same thing. Right? Same thing. When you Okay, well, okay, yeah, okay, I hear you. When you go out and tell somebody you got to buy IBM, I guess that's more of a definitive... No, 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 they're talking about, if somebody asks me, do you like IBM, love the company, that's a recommendation. Correct, that's a recommendation. Doesn't that's mean, doesn't correct. say buy it. Doesn't mean, didn't say buy it. I didn't. I don't participate, I didn't no, get you, to make a nickel, I didn't buy it for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I guess it's, I guess it's, uh, you know, that's a thin line. Where does it, where does it fall? Is it is that in fact their research suggesting rates are going to fall by five uh, se- uh, five quarter point cuts next year? Is that a recommendation to do what? Are they telling you to buy the market, sell the market? What are they telling you? They didn't really tell you to do anything, did they? Well, they're telling you to sell bonds or buy bonds. Well, but you're extrapolating that. The woman never said sell bonds or buy bonds. She just said we think rates are going down five times next year. She didn't say buy stocks, buy bonds, sell stocks, sell stocks. Well, if sell I told bonds. you, I she thought the market. If I told you I thought the market was going to double next year, it wouldn't take a whole lot of strain on the brain to figure what? you should buy. <laughs> okay, well, okay. While I hear you, I suppose the way Federer looks at it, well, unless you told somebody outright to do to to do an action, then it's just research, I guess. I mean, because you're right. I, we could sit here and talk all day about it, but I think it's very simple. They're big, and you and I aren't. <laughs> <laughs> right, and they sit in the seats of power because everyone at Goldman seems to go into somewhere in the treasury yeah. or, the, or the Fed or the government. Um, Kenny, what could uh, I was just was kind of joking with Joel? After all these days in a row, why wouldn't somebody want to be a little bit of a rat off the sinking ship and at least get some protection after this run up? I, I think you do. I think you're crazy if you don't have any protection because I think just as quickly, and you and I both know this. Just as quickly as the market runs up, it, it can come down even faster, right? And it usually does, right? What do they say? It, it, it takes the stairs on the way up, and it takes the elevator on the way down, right? Because it can, it can, it can adjust to the negative side very quickly. So, you know, however you do it, whether you do it in options, whether you do it with just a, some of the contra ETFs like the SH or the PSQ or even the VIXI. Look what happened to the VIXI ETF last week when the I think it was that day that the market sold off, right? It was up six and a half percent. So if you bought the Vixie, you made six and a half percent on that position right. yesterday to offset what you lost in your in your in your long portfolio. If you did that, or the PS the PSQ or the SH or the uh, DOG, which are the you know the the industrials, the S and P and the and the Nasdaq ETF short trades, right? You buy them to go short the market. Can I can I ask you a very technical question that you know more about than me because you're on the New York Stock Exchange for a gazillion years? Uh, and then we'll go through this maybe more next week in detail as we maybe try and educate people a little bit on current market fabric versus other. But I mean, way back in the day, I mean, if you had IBM, for instance, and I got IBM trading, where the hell is it? 
It's at uh, 162.30. So let's say back in the day, let's say 162 and 3 eighths. The specials used to have a yep. book where there were people at a half quarter bid, a yep. lot more people at three quarters yep. even bid. So there was there, the standing orders were yep. in one spot. And if you and if you and I wanted to in a physical book, correct. right? If you and I wanted to 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 say, okay, if I wanted to pay up to 161, how much could I get? Or you know, correct. Um, the specialist could essentially answer me. Plus, he might do something there, or other people. He might say, "I know there's another two hundred thousand around at that price if you if you give me the net." Correct. But there was there Correct. actually was stuff listed away from the market, so you have some kind of a there was depth and liquidity to the book. Let's say some some more than others, but there was some. Um, yeah. Today, is there such a thing? And if there is, where where is that order housed? It's not. It's not at all these different exchanges. Where the hell is it? No, you see, that's the difficult part because the, because it's so fractured today that the, the the demand and supply can be scattered all over the place, so you don't see it. If you go down to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange today and ask that same question, he's going to tell you what he can see on his book, but he has no idea in the dark pools. There could be 100000 offered at the last sale in a dark pool that he has no idea exists. Right? Or there, or there could be nothing. Or there could be nothing, correct? Or there could be nothing. And so before, before they did this, there there was at least a sense of the depth of the market. And like you said, I might have gone into the specials and said, "Listen, I know the stock's trading at you know twenty four and a half, but at you know three quarters or higher, I've got stock for sale. If it trades up there, give me a flash. I don't want to be out there. I don't want to be standing in the market. But I'm around if it trades up there. And so what would happen if the stock started to trade up there? The specials would hit my number on his keypad. My people would go off. I'd go over. I'd say, oh gee." This is trading 75, 75 cents, you know, up at 24.75. I'd, I'll make a sale up here. So then I'd look at the crowd, I'd see who was around, and then I'd make, I'd make a decision and make an offer. Would I offer 10,000? Would I offer 100,000? I might. Depends on the situation, right? That was the whole point of being a broker and being active in a trading crowd. Today, all of that is gone because there are no brokers anymore. It's completely dominated by the technology. There, there are no human beings anymore that do that trade. There's no conversation to have. So the only way you have to do it is you have to do it by feel. Almost as if you're blind, you have to feel your way. And how do you do that? You send you send a little part, a little bit of your order out to the alternative venues. You, you, you put a bid in in a dark pool to see if you get hit. You put a bid in in the New York Stock Exchange to see if you get hit. You put a bid in over at NASDAQ to see if you get hit. You, t- you have to test the market. But because the technology does it so fast, it's not like it takes, it takes you know, minutes or hours to do that. You can do it in picoseconds because you're all, it's all connected. So in that sense, it, it, it's very quick. But there's no conversation. You have to feel your way. Well, you also, I, I believe, it used to happen on the SIBO floor, that if, if all of a sudden you had a big enough buyer where you're going to buy, you know, a million shares of of, uh, of, of IBM at like one sixty three. Again, I got a one sixty two thirty. If you were offered yep. at one sixty two forty, you were yep. filled at sixty three, right? It, say it again. If I if I had a one sixty three limit, but I could buy it at one sixty two forty. No, no. I'm saying if, if 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 I had four hundred shares in there to sell at one sixty two forty, and all of a sudden. Somebody oh paid. yeah, yeah. If the oh yeah, you got filled at one sixty three. If I if I if we did a block trade at one sixty three, anything offering between one sixty two forty and one sixty three got filled at one sixty three. Yeah, I don't think that happens today. Do they pick off everybody along the way? Doesn't happen today. Does not happen today. Well, that's no, a, that, not. and that really sucks. By the way, uh, of course it does. 
Of course it does. But that's but that's because the technology, A, because it's fractured. So you don't know who's around. So you have to stair step it up or down when you're trying to buy or sell stock like that, right? Um, um, they can still trade blocks of stock in a dark pool as long as within the framework of the market, right? Without worrying about who else is in the market. Um, Which is nuts on top can, of it. Right, which is not something, and you can also uh, the technology. Although I, it's, they can through with the technology, they can hit a bid, and then put a print on lower, and they're only obligate they're obligated to fill so much because there's so many different venues. They can't tell who's where, and who's connected, and who's actually in the market. It's actually very interesting how they've designed it today, but it's not the way at all the way it used to be. What's well, that? It's that design. You know, you can. You can design so just because something's electronic doesn't mean it's fair or right. That's correct, a thousand percent. That's absolutely correct. When I was when I was doing it physically, I had an obligation. If people were offering in between once, you know, sixty-two forty and sixty and sixty-three, I had an obligation to fill all of them. If I was going to print something at sixty-three, as long as they were in the crowd or their order was on the book, uh, then they have, if they were there. Now, if you were walking around with an order to sell it at sixty-two seventy-five and never indicated to anybody that you were a seller, and that trade happened, then you cannot come back to me and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I was offering." Right. No, you weren't, because you weren't on the book and you weren't in the crowd. So, no, you were not offering. Yeah, but you snoo- if, if you snooze, yeah. the- right. if you snooze, you lose. The book or in the crowd. That's right. But if anybody was, you could be standing in the crowd holding your order. It's not on the book, but you're there as a seller, so they know it. So if the conversation was going to happen, then it would be my obligation to stand up and say, "Look, if you're going to print stock at 63, I can sell 50,000 shares from between 62 and a half and 63. So I would have to automatically be filled. Otherwise, the price would be adjusted. Maybe 63 wasn't the price anymore. Maybe it was 6275." Or 62, 62 and 7.8. That, that's where that whole conversation happened about supply and demand. Maybe next week, uh, Kenny, if you wouldn't mind, we'll, uh, if, if Greg writes down a note, let's talk a little bit about the history of the old NAS, the NASDAQ. Because that was, when I was in the University of Chicago, and it was just going to be an electronic system, anybody could be a specialist. Let's just say right. every guy who was in you know, the competitive marketplace group in the University of Chicago that were... Of which there were many, <clears throat> it was like you double, you drop, <clears throat> you know, double Viagra on their desk. They were they were so, <laughs> they were so happy that this electronic right. system was going to get around. Yet next, maybe next uh, Tuesday we'll talk a little bit. Was there was there? It was electronic, and people loved remember that part. It was electronic, but unlike the New York Stock Exchange, where buyer traded directly with the seller and the specialist only filled in when he needed to. On the NASDAQ in the old days, buyer and seller never met. You had to buy it from the specialist who then sold it to. I had to buy it from the specialist, so he sold it to me. And then he bought it from a seller, right? So the, even if the buyer and seller were in the crowd together, the specialist always got in the middle. Somebody like I said, was it, had to trade. Was, was, could there possibly have been a crookeder system? There could not have been a crooked system, yet that existed for a lot of years. Today, that's not the way it happens. No. Today, buyer buyer meets seller. But, but then, it, but it was, but it was electric. Was guaranteed to be, he was guaranteed to be in the middle. Guaranteed. But there was a, but it was electronic. Yes, it was electronic. <laughs> but they, yes, it was electronic. But they managed, they managed it pretty well. Listen, don't forget, the technology was still very, 
well, actually, when you think about it today, it was almost like a Model T. It was very crude technology in retrospect to what we have today. It was perfect it if you were work. a crook. If you were a crook, it right, was but perfect. what it did was, it wasn't so electronic. It was about order posting and order delivery. It wasn't execution. The specialist still executed it. So if you and I were in the crowd and I wanted to buy 10,000 shares of Microsoft, say, at $50, and you wanted to sell 10000 at 50 you and I would never meet. On the New York Stock Exchange, we would have met and traded right. at 50 but in But in the NASDAQ, I would have had to buy it from the specialist at, say, 50 and an eighth, and then you well, it, there really then wasn't a specialist. There really wasn't a specialist. At Forty-nine and seven eighths. So well, anyway, let's, let's kick this. In. Let's kick this around next week because it really wasn't. The original design was there wasn't a specialist, but then it, it got to the point where it sort of was, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, it was all about the market. Maker. Anyway, you know, the, the, and he wasn't called the specialist; he was called the market maker, right? Uh, happy New Year, bud. The we'll special. talk at you next week. Um, and, yeah, uh, you too. Bye bye. And you have a good one. S and P futures up five. Nancy futures up thirty. We're going to have. Hell on as soon as we come back. We're going to keep John for a little bit because he can talk to Hal about what some of the stuff they're t- they're teaching back and forth. Because John knows more about that than me. Then we'll we'll dump John and we'll just have Hal for a while. It'll be fun. We'll be right back. Stocks and jacks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program. Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Greg Pappas on the board. SP Fuse up five. Nancy Fuse up 32. Do we have the both professors on? Hey, good morning. How are you? Yeah, well, we, good uh, morning. We, yeah. We've retained John for a little bit. You guys are <clears throat> two professors. Uh, what's going on, Buzz? We have uh, Bristol Myers going to buy yet another firm here this morning. Um, so... These legacy drug companies, as soon as something comes off uh, patent, they just go out and buy other people's stuff. Is is that kind of what we want? Is that is that a goal for society to have these guys 
just around and pick off other people's stuff because they're eloquous. Uh, you've never been on eloquous. Eloquous is what four or five hundred hours a month. It's been in the market for seventeen years. Uh, a little bit of a cash cow for Bristol Myers and and uh, virtually anybody who's ever even seen a heart doctor is on Eloquus. Uh, I'm trying to get any insurance company to do much with it. It's been uh, it's been like Lipitor in terms of a cash cow, wouldn't you say? So now they're buying these guys for 4.1 billion. They just take this money and uh, they can charge whatever they want with one of these patents without any. And all of a sudden, uh, they just buy other companies. Is this is this how uh, hell you would have designed the world, or John? Even though John was in more of the arts and letters stuff, you're more the economist. Is this your idea of, of progress or no? Well, well, in the in the uh, absence of the government regulations and rules that create basically a, a cartel in, in in the medical industry, I would say no, right? I mean, I, I would say yes in the absence of all that, but. Um, I don't think anybody can argue that the uh, medical industry is a free market. I mean, it's far from that. So um, it, to me, it's uh, just uh, regulation causing more monopolization. I mean, the Affordable Care Act, I think one of the things that happened in the Affordable Care Act that I observed personally is that the insurance company that I had at Westminster College when I first got there, it got purchased by a company. And then I think... Uh, a year later, it got that company got purchased by a company, so it created this uh, monopolization in health insurance. So um, I would say no. I mean, I would say yes if we had a market system, but well, I'm gonna we don't lob this one system. out at you because Jen was on when uh, young uh, young Katie uh, Rather was on, and she's doing the research down in Vanderbilt and a couple of different diseases and so forth. It seems to me because I have a lot of clients over the years that really got involved in these small startup biotech, you know, this kind of device, this kind of drug. And I'm going to say that at the very bottom end, it, it is somewhat competitive. Just just if you ever get anything, then people snag it from you, either by a lot yeah. of money or, or by something, because you're, you're, you're tired and you're, your people have been throwing money at it for so long, they'll, they'll take, you never hit the home run, you hit the double maybe. So yeah. I'm going to say it's, it's kind of competitive until you do something worthwhile, then it's not. Is, 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 does that make any sense at all? <laughs> John, does that make sense or no? Yeah, I you know, and I was talking to both of my nieces yesterday who were in their you know, in the science field in their majors, and I, I was asking them, does it ever get talked about in any of your classes? What is really going on in the way that the research that you're interested in doing will ever be used or how it's going to be paid for or how... It's going to be shared, or the, the economics, good or bad about it, or is it just presumed that you're, you're going to have to find out about that when you get into your jobs, whatever they may be? And they said, yeah, it's never talked about it, any more than you're running a law firm was talked about when I was in law school. The, the actual business of the, the field you were trying to get into was was out there somewhere else and never formed part of your training, and it, they preferred not to talk about any of that stuff. And I just thought that's such a shame if you, if you have a curiosity about it or you want to get a leg up on how to actually make a living in the field. It's one thing to have all the skills that you can get in an academic setting, but that doesn't really give you the complete picture about what you're really competing against. And, and things like monopolies and you know, takeovers and acquisitions 
that will really have a, a huge impact on your life as a, a, a person earning wages is just something that, that can't be talked about in these fields. And I, I suspect it's like that in almost every academic field in some extent or another. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, everybody I've been <clears throat> involved with in that area, like I said, there's a real lot of people that, especially if, if you have uh, a lot of your clients have been through the years doctors, which which we have. Uh, in fact, we had a bunch of different uh, doctoral practices that used to do their money. Uh, we used to manage their 401k stuff or their, their pension plans until every attorney in the world said, you don't want the liability, you know, make sure your assistant has to manage their own money. I mean, we always did fine for these people, and they were talking years ago, but now a lot of people are involved in the 401ks and so forth, which, you know, I don't think is a bad idea. It's just... I think we did a better job, just saying. Uh, but it was a long time ago. But those those guys, they all are very aware of where some research and stuff is. And I, I don't know if I've ever known a doctor that didn't, didn't have some money sunk in some drug or some device someplace, and I I don't know how many of them have ever been successful. Seems like I mean, if you are successful, you should make a real lot of dough, and you never really do. Because it gets bought by somebody, yeah. and you you do okay, but not great. Or is that just me? It's like uh, your your job as the head of Bristol or Merck or someplace is to sit around with this massive, you know, cookie jar of cash and just look to see somebody who has something and pay double on their stock. Now, these guys today, stock's up 30 bucks, trading 62 I guess you're happy unless someday whatever you have is worth 500 Now you're not going to get it. So, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say... Boy, you know, uh, you should say no to the sixty-two when when you've probably been waiting for it for years. But uh, it, it's it's kind of a we kind of we kind of rip the, the the top reward off this. Don't you say, Al, or no? Um, I, I suppose yes. I mean, um, I'm not too familiar with uh, medical research, um, but you know these large. Uh, Corporations. I mean, they they get these benefits from uh, all these rules and regulations, and the the anti-competitive nature of it. Um, I suppose. I mean, if you're a small startup company and you're struggling for cash, and you have some talented people working for you, and you're developing a drug, I mean, I suppose it's a a, a good way to um, you know get it to market. I don't know. I'm just not sure about that. Well, a lot of these these drug companies were the first people that went overseas with a lot of their uh, taxation, right? And yeah. Didn't, didn't wasn't the first one that went overseas was Forest Labs. Yeah, th- th- I have a friend in uh, transfer pricing uh, economics, and I think he actually wrote the chapter on the on, on the book, the first chapter of it. And you know, they they hide, um, they 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 locate their intellectual property in. Uh, you know the Cayman Islands or uh, Zug, Switzerland or Ireland for tax purposes and that helps them hide their um, profits from the reaches of the, the IRS and to me uh, it, it, it kind of seems like it's game in the system kind of um, especially if the intellectual property is a US <laughs> patent I know exactly so I mean it, it, there's probably a problem when a place like Zug, Switzerland has a population of 30,000 people and it has probably as many 
companies who have a piece of paper sitting in some mailbox somewhere and they call that their corporate headquarters. I mean, that's probably somewhat of a problem. And and then a, a, I, I remember seeing this on 16 Minutes a few years ago. I, I put it on my YouTube channel probably 10 years ago maybe about this company who uh, uh, was gonna was about to move its operations to Switzerland and this congressperson said something about um, uh, uh, a law that he was going to propose and and because of that proposal of that law, the company moved its headquarters to Switzerland just because the congressperson from Texas was, was talking about that. So it's really kind of strange how that IP world works. Well, and, and all it is is people wanting to hide their, their income from Uncle Sam. Why would you... Uh, it, it seems to me that <clears throat> after certainly after having Katie and other people... There's generally a lot of people involved in the production of a new drug. There's, there's probably some doctors at a hospital, there's probably whatever, and all of a sudden, somebody somewhere gets this, quote, patent. Now, patent law has been, you know, something we studied, or I studied at, uh, you never had uh, Father Fitzgerald in Notre Dame, did you, John? You were off in your English area, doing God knows what? Yeah, I never had him, Tom. But he was a guy that was all over this uh, patent law, and, uh, labor law, he was a labor arbitrator and uh, you know, he was one of these dudes uh, hell, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that uh, you could be like him or would want to be, because he was first of all, he was a priest so I don't know if he wanted to be a priest, I'd say no uh, but he, <laughs> uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy my marital relations, there you go um, <laughs> but I mean on the one hand he was it, it was a total black and white world I mean, if he went somewhere, he would actually tell you in class, he said, I'd make my own reservations at, like, you know, the Howard Johnson's out of town or something, and my own airfare, my own bed. He goes, and I'd, uh, I'd get there, and if... He's like, pile into the, the bar, or, you know, have a burger and a beer, night before, and if a free beer came my way, I would walk over to the phone and say, I resigned because I've been compromised. Mm. Um, but then again... He also was a priest. He had three hats and a cot, as they say. He had something to fall back at. But now, if that was his livelihood, I don't know that you could, say, take take the fees for this job and shove it for just a beer, right? I mean, it'd be hard to do. Um, yeah. You'd find a way to justify something, I would guess. Uh, but he was... Uh... Anyway, he, would, he was convinced that virtually every... Every patent at the time that people knew about had been stolen. Hmm. I mean, uh, well, Brown Camera Company, the Brown, that was the Brown Camera Company. It got stolen by Kodak, right? Yeah. And then that put Kodak on the map. He was convinced that uh, Alexander Graham Bell no more invented the telephone than you or I, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway. The guy that invented the TV is from uh, Rigby, Idaho. Yeah. He actually was a, a potato farmer, and he envisioned the electron beam hitting the little areas in the screen like uh, potatoes popping up out of rows you know going back and forth but they have a, they have a TV uh, the, the the inventor of the TV uh, museum in Rigby, Idaho right right outside Idaho Falls well anyway the but the question is when after all this stuff happens and you come across a you know a, a blockbuster drug let's say it's Eloquist and Eloquist for those that don't know it's a it's a blood thinner that is an advancement from uh, 
Coumadin, which essentially is rat poison, and you have to monitor Coumadin real, it does a good job, but you have to really monitor the people all the time, and there's no reverse, whatever, it's a long story. But, uh, by the way, Coumadin's how they killed Stalin, you know. Mm. They put Coumadin in his wine, right, Jen? Yeah. <laughs> and he had, a, he had a hemorrhage, just like, that. that's just how they kill rats. They have a bunch of Coumadin, and they, they have hemorrhages and die. So they so they, they killed the rat with rat poison, essentially. Uh, but what I'm saying is, in this day and age, would you ever give anybody for seven something for 17 years, especially if a whole bunch of other people had a hand in it, say charge whatever you damn well please for 17 years when you know people need it? Yeah. But, but who would even think of that today if you were starting from scratch? Just saying. Well, the, the whole patent you know system has. You know, it's it's played into the hands of the people who are a step ahead of the game and, and lack the creative or you know the imaginative ability to devise these things. But they're right first in line to profit from it. And I mean, there's so many examples of, of herbal remedies in the, the medical field that somebody got a hold of and gave a, a trade name to it, patented it, and you could probably make the concoction on your own. But you you can't do that anymore because somebody's got dibs on it, and the the, the the system of, of patenting stuff, and not just in medicine, but all over the place. I think Fitzgerald is right that it's, it's always been stolen by somebody else, from somebody else. Yeah, if you really, if you really think about it, it's kind of like what I tell my students about: if you have an idea for an app, or you want to, you come up with this thought. I wish there was an app for this, and you go to Google Play, and you type it in there. Google Google's probably monitoring that and saying, "Hey, we don't have that app. Let's uh, let's yeah. make this app, right?" And, and the patent system is kind of the same way, right? Guys file these patents. You know, small independent people file these patents. And what do the big corporations do? They probably sift through all these patent applications. Go, hey, that's a great idea. This guy's got a patent pending on it. Let's get to market before that guy does, right? Yeah, they they look to see does this person have any legal representation? Is that a schlub law firm we've never heard of? We can get in and swoop in and make a kill. So, yeah, well, I mean, some, some people I mean, don't want. Pending. Some people well, don't want even to, to, to file a patent because you let somebody else know a good idea, like you say, Al. Yeah, I mean, it's you're revealing. Government's like encouraging to reveal your ideas to people, and they have the they have the greater resources, uh, and you you don't have anybody. Right. I mean, I remember when my uh, dad uh, told me about this idea before he passed. Um, he was a potato farmer, really smart guy, never very successful, uh, far from successful. He died with a suitcase of clothes and a and a five hundred dollar car. But he told me about this thing that cleans potatoes, cleans rocks out of potatoes, and I thought it was a really good idea. And I drew it up and I showed, showed him the plan. And apparently, he built it at a fresh pack in Arizona. I took it in the North Carolina Patent Office and I said, "Hey, this is my dad's idea. He passed away and was never able to do it." She goes, "Well, you can't file a patent." And I go, "Why?" And he, she goes, "Well, you told me that he he invented it." I'm like, "Oh," so I just kind of shelved the idea. Maybe that's different now. But well, that's when you that's when you turn around, you walk out, and you walk back in. <laughs> I think I have too much fun uh, in economics. Uh, that's why I'm poor. <laughs> too honest, too fun <laughs> we uh, we were driving. We're talking about a wacky story. Audrey and I decided we're going to go skiing, right? So we're heading out to Steamboat. We're driving out. I said we'll just call and get a condo on the way out. So we bring uh, Sam, Sammy, the 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 one-eyed poodle, with us, right? Uh, Black and he had one eye, so she named him Sammy Davis Poodle. Uh, oh, nice! And uh, <laughs> he was a character little guy, so we we head out, and uh, so I call 
ahead and I get to condo place and I go, uh, get some nice lady. And I go, uh, we just want to know what uh, condos do you guys have that allow somebody to bring a little dog? Well, we don't have any of those. I said, I said, so there's no place that will allow a dog. No. Um, okay. By the way, uh, can we start this conversation over? And she goes, sure. I said, what really nice one bedroom condos do you have like a block or two from the slopes? Oh, we got all kinds of them. I said, how about, (laughs) (laughs) how about we grab this one? No problem. Just remember to put that dude out this derp side out front. (laughs) Just started the conversation over, you know, it was, we had a nice condo. Sammy the Poodle. Well, you know, that, that's the power of money. That's the power of money, right? <laughs> they, they want to rent you that condo. Sammy was a perfect they guest. He, he thought the fire the fireplace with the, the little, what do you call it, the, the, foots, the padded footstool about eight feet away was perfect for him while we went skiing. He was happy. We were happy. You know? <laughs> Everybody was happy. I don't think he really had, he was too happy with the snow that was three feet deep when he was like a foot tall, but that's a problem. But um, he, managed, he managed to make do. But yeah, I mean, uh, I don't. You wonder if all this stuff. Do we really need to give these people this amount of money when half of it's not even? The lady who, uh, what was her name? She, did, she's the one who. Did she go to jail? The one with the uh, epipens. The, well, uh, the, uh, the epi- did she go to jail or yeah. no? She had the, the epipens were six hundred bucks a throw that all the schools were buying, and it turns out that it was invented by the army, according to Lou. Yep. And all she did was get a new cap on the thing, and they gave her a new patent. And uh, my doctor says if they give, if she gives somebody a shot because they, you know, get stung by a bee or something, that the the active ingredient there costs her a buck and a half. Yet this epipen was six hundred and some dollars. Yeah. Now it's in the really... packaging, it's in the name. You know that that's the patent, really. So. Well, so I mean, what do we before we do? <coughs> we need to go back on all these different laws and, and, and redo them all? Do we have the capability of doing that? We can't even, or we can't, don't seem like we can agree on anything. I don't think there's any uh, inertia for that at all. I mean, the, the system's set up the way it is. Uh, the politicians bloviate and always tell people, hey, you don't listen to what they say, you listen to, or you, you listen to what they do, right? And there's so much money embedded in the system for them and for these very wealthy, connected people, that there, there's not there's not going to be any change. I I, I I feel bad that I'm this cynical, but um, there's just too much money in the system right now, currently, and and there, there's no there, there's no pressure for these politicians to actually do anything. I mean, they they can bloviate and say they want to change things. They can act like they're the they they can bloviate on TV that they're the advocate of the poor while they're making you know trades on Nvidia. And disclosing it the day before Christmas, right? So, I, yeah, I, I well, just don't see it changing. What? Well, I mean, what? You you can't going forward. You can't have the new drugs that are coming out, even some of the cancer drugs, and you don't know how. Like I said who even really developed them or whatever. You can't have one that's that's ten thousand bucks a shot. You know, every every week for eight weeks or something, and where other people are paying for it. We we can't go there. I don't think. And yet well, we're I, th- there. I think for diseases that are really, really, really rare, where a very limited number of people have them, you know, I think you have to have a high price for those kinds of drugs. Otherwise, nobody would uh, develop a drug for a very rare condition, right? I think it's different if the if the the disease is more widespread. But if it's very a rare condition, the price has to be that high. And I don't think insurance companies want to pay those high prices, so they they don't cover them, right? 
Um, so I think for rare, r- really rare diseases where, you know, the, there's just not a lot of people inflicted with that disease, um, the price has to be high. Otherwise, it wouldn't get, the research wouldn't get done. Um, it's just a matter of I don't insurance have a, company having to pay for it or not. I don't have a problem with uh, the high, the price being high because it, it costs to get there, right? I don't, yeah. I don't have a problem with the price uh, for the new uh, um, drug that makes you whatever that makes you happy. If somebody has to wrestle three three alligators in the swamp, you know, to get the saliva gland out of the alligator, I can run with it. But at the day, at the end of the day, when it costs two bucks to make, I don't want some head of uh, Bristol Myers pontificating how he needs a hundred thousand dollars shot to keep his salary going. You're right; it needs to be high, yeah. but. But how high and who gets to set it? Yeah, and I mean, when government's setting it, when, when basically government's setting it with uh, restrictions and whatnot, you, you could argue that patent laws um, limit um, or are the are the reason why the price is so high, right? Yeah. Because it says you, you can't get in this market and compete, right? So right. I think the whole system set up with with insurance companies being more of a payment system than insurance. But I think the whole system is set up for high prices because you, you build in these restrictions and what do restrictions do? They drive prices up demand. Well, I mean, I, I guess the, uh, and we'll let John go in a second, but John, what do you, the price has to be high for people to do this stuff. And then again, what do you think they're paying Katie for doing the stuff she did last summer where she made all those presentations on that orphan disease? They're not paying her squat, are they? No. And, you know, the fact that they could take a, a drug and go through the whole approval process and make people in this country or their insurance companies pay through the nose for something that's very cheaply available every every place else the drug is marketed and that yeah. there isn't some real inequity in that that, that, that could be fixed. I mean, this, this is something that I've never understood how they get away with it. Uh, but in effect, the, the U.S. consumer, you know, is, is not only supporting the research of this, but also price support for everybody else around. I don't. I don't think that should be the role of the American consumer. Um, well, just to bring up on a story last summer, the Katie was working at the University of Minnesota, and there was some orphan disease. John, you remember the disease that there was a similar disease that Lou knew about. Anyway, it's something very few people get. Hence the name orphan disease. And they found the the DNA tracker for the thing, hmm. which doesn't mean that uh, you know they're. They're talking about a cure in February, maybe not a cure forever, or hopefully not forever. But they found the DNA tracker, the proteins that people have that end up with this disease that other people don't have, or whatever, one or the other. So, a year from now, if somebody finds a way to interject the proper protein into the DNA, which has happened before, right, in some of these diseases, and uh, I'm going to say it's going to cost whatever it could could cost a hundred thousand dollars a patient or more i just i just want the number to be legit i don't want at the, at the end of all this work that katie and all these million other people did i don't want pfizer buying the, the uh the whoever came up with the drug getting a patent and saying well we think our number is like a million dollars but what, what did mm. you just do exactly except set the price i mean i there's a there's yeah. a there's a disconnect there yes we think it should be high Oh, by the way, a real lot of people participated and gave grants and the University of Minnesota and everybody else and Katie and her friends and so forth and the doctors involved. That doesn't mean that one one person or one company gets a million dollars a person for the next 20 years. 
It's in my mind. I'm it's not... kind of like that. It's, it's kind of like that movie, The Saint, with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, and the uh, Elizabeth Shue, where she's trying to invent this uh, free source of energy, <laughs> and she's going to give it to the world for free, right? And uh, there's this big plot to a Russian oligarch billionaire uh, wants to take her out and and then monopolize this idea. So it kind of seems like, you know, that's what, what goes on here, right? Um, and th- I think that's what patent laws and licensing and FDA approvals kind of all does, right? It, it creates these scarcities that drive these prices up. Can you imagine and, and the, uh, the, in, the intelligence... That these big firms have in these in the FDA and stuff. Can you imagine the, oh, yeah. the moles? Oh yeah, sifting through patents, sifting through uh, research that's being done at these uh, state universities. I mean, it's just it's probably incredible. Anyway, we're, we're going to go to break here, John. Thank you very much. We'll have you on a Happy usual spot. Twenty twenty four, your family. I'll, I'll talk to you again. Cindy, on John. Thursday, yeah, we'll be on on Thursday. SP Futures up four, and Futures up twenty five. We're up. We're slow. Day after Christmas, what'd you expect? But we're up. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom. Great Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 450. Nasdaq Futures up 24 or 25. Just remember, the Bears are not mathematically eliminated. Greg. Yeah, Just saying, take right? the under on that one. Are you getting your uh, orange jersey in the mail today? Not me. Not, Not me. you? Although we are in the finals of the Fantasy Football Championship, so I'm happy. Oh, good. Dow Futures up 20. I don't see any individual stocks doing all that much, except for the ones we've been talking about. Uh, we've got Microsoft up a buck, and uh, Chevron Texaco up buck fifteen. That's about it in the Dow. Over in Asia, I'm sure all these guys are open. Uh, Nikkei. Um, was up 51 points, 0.1 percent. Hang Seng down 280, down again, 1.7 percent, 16,340. Make sure we ask Hal about this Chinese kind of fiasco. Or Shanghai under 29,000, minus uh, minus 20 bucks, 28.98. And these guys are in reverse over there. Over in Europe, we've got uh, these guys are, are all closed today. Is it what is it? Is it it's Boxer Day today, right, Greg? Is that what they call it over there? Day after Christmas is a holiday as well. Uh, on last Friday, Dow was down 18, S&P up 7, NASDAQ up 29. It was a very slow day, as you might expect. Uh, bonds down 1 basis point, 3.89. The bond up 1 basis point, 1.98, still under 
Japan up two basis points, 0.64. Oil up a buck 44. That's why we saw Chevron Texaco up. It's almost 2%, 75 hours exactly. Run up a dollar 46, 80.53. Natural gas down 12 cents, 248. Showing El Nino winter. That's pretty low for this time of the year. Arbob up 4 cents, 214. I'm sorry, 217. Gold up 610, 2075. Creeping, creeping toward this 2100 number. Silver up 12 cents, 2469. Copper up 2 cents, 392. We have Bitcoin down 765, but still pretty high. 42,638. The U.S. dollar, Jesmond Vowell is down a little bit. Pound is over, uh, Euro is over 110. Haven't seen that in quite a while. And the pound is over 127, that as well. Greg, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Dog Bears. Morning, everyone. 735 here in Chicago. We've got 43 degrees now, 45 today, cooler. Um, Phoenix, 45 right now, 63 a little bit later with uh, brilliant sunshine. Traffic, nothing is going to be more than 15 to 16 minutes right now across the whole city. Um, and in sports, we got some big news. Let's see. Jim Ratcliffe is taking over 25% of the publicly available Class A shares of Manchester United. So that's happening at $33 per share. And I believe the the current price is around 20 So he's, he's paying up for... Up portion of Man U from the Glazers. Otherwise, we've got the Mavs beating the Suns. That was 128 to 114. NHL, the Jets at the Hawks tonight at 8. Bears beat up on the cards. That was 27-16. Bears are now 6-9. Nice. And uh, yesterday, Christmas, the Raiders won over the Chiefs. The Eagles beat the Giants. That was 33-25. And the Ravens beat the Niners. 33-19. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. The uh, you can sort of see in the, in the in the Chiefs game when you have no weapons around you. How did they manage to lose everybody? The one guy they lost the uh, lots of interceptions too. Well, the real spectacular uh, uh, receiver, the Tyreek Hill, he's gone. But they they got like nobody else in Kansas City. They're worse than the, they're almost like the Bears. <laughs> Bears uh, Bears are six and nine though, and they're going to be eight and nine, maybe in the playoffs. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking probably not. Uh, so, Professor, um, what do you make of? Uh, we had we had uh, actually we're trying to get uh, Eric back on soon. I was talking to him this weekend or texting back and forth. What is this? What is the state of these, these smaller universities in uh, in uh, all this mess? Or with the are the enrollments down? Or the uh, I mean, it seems like the amount of the demographics are kind of against them right now a little bit, aren't they? Or no? Well, I think uh, in a place like New York, there's, it seems like there's a lot of small private schools closing. Um, there's a school across the river in Jersey called Drew, and I got a notification from LinkedIn, and I saw that uh, about, I think, uh, two or three days into that, into that school being, uh, or from, from that notification, I saw 34 people applied this teaching position over there and so I think what's happening is you have a lot of these little schools um, and little schools are where people who want to teach work people who work at the large R1 universities that's where people who want to do research work and then they have to teach on the side I don't think there's a lot of great instruction I mean there could be a lot of great instruction going on at these large universities but I think 
people who want to teach, who love to teach, who like to be in the classroom are going to be at these small universities. And and I, and I just felt like a lot of them are seem like they're on the verge of closing. And, and so there's a lot of uh, demand for a few positions. So on my side of it, it, it seems pretty dire. Um, and I, th- I think what happened is you had all these small colleges that uh, pop, uh, grew up in the United States and and uh, I think everything was fine and stable for them, but then all of a sudden these large state universities, you know, they got really big, really fast over the last 50 years. And I think the capacity for the university system was built for the baby boom generation where you had a lot of kids, a lot of, and a, you know, 20% of a lot of kids is a lot higher than 20% of very few kids. Cause I think people today are not having the, the children they used to have. Um, they're maybe even opting out of having the children. So I think in, in 10, 15 years, it's going to be even more dire because um, I think, you know, generation X is probably going to put off having kids maybe all together. Um, I mean, they'll be, you know, probably half the half of them probably having kids. Maybe, and if they do, they all have one. So you have this uh, this uh, baby boom generation that is uh, no longer having kids. My my generation maybe had a lot fewer kids, and the generations following that are going to have even fewer kids. And so you have to have consolidation. And I think what's happening is a lot of these small liberal arts colleges are really having a trouble having having a lot of trouble trying to attract young people and. And I always tell people, like at Mercer University or A&T State University, that we kind of like operate when we're, when we're selling our services to young people. They have the they have the, the power, right? So it's a seller's market um, on the student side of the transaction when they are considering enrolling in our colleges or universities. Unlike Harvard um, or type uh, Stanford's, but then on the on the hiring side of the transaction, when, when companies are considering hiring our graduates, um, we have to be really careful because um, we don't have any market power on that side of the transaction either. Um, it's a buyer's market when it comes to hiring our graduates. So I think what for a small college to thrive and be successful, um, I think Hillsdale College is a great example of how you can do it. or. Even the the High Point University in Greensboro, I think they do a very good job of doing it. I think they recognize that, and I think the instruction has to be very innovative. Uh, uh, you, you know, small classes can be a selling point, but I think the instruction itself has to be very innovative, and I think professors have to be really creative. And you can't just lecture and demand people take midterms and final exams because I don't I don't give exams anymore. I have you know I only do presentations so. I think the market is very it's it's very distressful for small colleges and universities, but I think there's a way that you can merge from it. And I think the worst thing you can do is try to be a small R1, right? I think you're straddling. I think you have to focus on traditional liberal arts. I think if you're a small liberal, liberal arts college and you and you focus on really innovative instruction and um, and getting back to liberal arts um, um, tradition, a true liberal arts tradition, and you welcome debate and conversation, I think you can thrive. But what do you do with, uh, and I'm not, as, as you know, my point of view is that 
education is is a very positive thing for its own right and if it was priced properly yeah i think i think i think it can be but i think the way it's being run at r1 universities i mean i don't know i'm not sure if you've ever been at a large state university where you have a classroom of 300 people taking micro principles but it really ends up being a, a thing where students sit in the classroom professors don't know who they are and these kids take these multiple choice tests and the professors use these horrible PowerPoint uh, that come with the the textbooks, right? And they use these, uh, for the most part, multiple choice testing. And, you know, you can, students can game the multiple choice testing. And that's the the quality of education you see, at least for the first couple of years at a large R1. We're just a number. You're you're a row and a column. The stuff we had at Notre Dame, the classes were a lot smaller, and you knew your professors and stuff. But yeah, yeah. But your your economic stuff was the first five or six classes came out of a book. I mean, there was macroeconomics, yeah. there was micro, there was urban, there was you know that type of thing. There was. So, hey, I'm not I'm not knocking these materials. Some of these materials, like Pearson, has some really. I'm not. I don't own any stock in Pearson, but I'll tell you, their their uh, online materials, their online assignments are incredible. Right, so it's been a great advancement in that. I mean, they, they do a lot of the kind of things that I'm doing, but what I'm talking about is the lecture. Uh, there's no real relationship between the student and the professor. The professor kind of sees the students as an impediment to doing research, and it's just not fun if you like being in the classroom, in my opinion, where you're just focused on research that nobody's going to read. Well, we had you know we had a couple of guys that just basically went through the book and you know it was like advanced yeah. high school, but. Uh, we had a couple yeah. of guys I mean, that were that, serious lecturers. Yeah. We had a couple like guys that co- were serious lecturer and knew their stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we had uh, actually took a a, uh, a class on the economics of the credit union, hmm. which was wow. a, by a guy That's who cool. by a guy who was uh, that was his shtick, and he actually wrote a book on that. And you know, we taught out of his yeah. book and other stuff. But but I mean, all, all the stuff I think in economics is if you teach it properly, it clearly spreads across just that subject I mean you know yeah. ec- I mean labor economics is the same as supply side economics it claims everything else right it's like you know, right they're all they all they all basically come down to supply and demand correct exactly that's how I think it should be but economics today is so hyper focused I mean when you, I mean and it's done that by training right when you when you're a PhD candidate and you walk into your your chairperson's uh, office and you have a dissertation topic the guy will go, well, it's too broad. That's 5,000 pages. You come back a week later and you go, well, I got, I, I narrowed it down. He goes, well, that's that's still 1,000 pages. You need, so by training, we've compartmentalized uh, economics, right? And when you get a PhD in economics, you're not a, you're not an expert in economics in general. You have this very, very niche uh, expertise in a very tiny corner within economics, right? And then when you get that PhD, all of a sudden you think you're going to every. I think every or most young PhD economists think they're going to win a Nobel Prize in economics, right? They're going to their work is so fantastic in this really tiny area that they're going to end up winning it. And so what the industry has created, what this industry has created, is a bunch of people who are hyper experts in a very tiny, narrow, narrow area of economics. And I didn't start growing as an economist until I started teaching. Uh, a, a lot of different classes I mean, and I wanted to teach a lot of different classes and I, I hate being so narrowly defined and to me economics is an economist should be able to comment on anything with demand and supply like you said 
right? Everything well down to me personally in demand curves and supply curves, and I see it everywhere I walk. And and a, a good economist can, and I think my hero is Murray Rothbard. Be, why? Because you know I didn't agree with everything he wrote, but what I like about Murray Rothbard is he commented on everything, and and it boiled down to demand and supply. Next time in Chicago, I got to dig it up somewhere. I know I have it someplace. I got to show you Friedman's manuscript on a theory of price. I want to see you teach a class like that and see if you get anybody in there who comes more than like four in a row. <laughs> yeah, at, at the places I teach, you the class would probably canceled after about two weeks. Yeah, it would be. A, it's 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 a it's a rough. Time. I, I always. I mean, I, I really get. I don't know how I get into the behavioral economics piece. Because the economics I took at Notre Dame was in arts and letters. You either get a business economics degree or a, a bachelor of arts in economics. And I got yeah. the, I got the bachelor of arts in economics, which is totally different from your side of the fence. I think you were the other one. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I like uh, I like business economics, uh, but I think it really, I think economics should be housed in a social science. I think it's wrongly placed in the business school, and I think it's placed in the business school because hundred years ago when there was you know no business schools anywhere. I mean, it was basically just economics, right? 150 years ago, it was just the economics department. And I think that kind of like evolved into what we now know as a business school. And I, and I truly believe economics should be in the arts and sciences. Well, but I, there is, there's a, there, I mean, there clearly is a, a crossover in the, how economics affects businesses. Oh yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the thing I love about economics and the thing I tell people all the time is, Man, anything can be studied as an economist. Uh, when I was at UNC, when I went was at A and T State University um, for, for the first time around, I'd go to UNCG every once in a while and and do some economic seminars there, you know, with their professors. And they brought in this guy from University of Chicago who was looking at the econ. Uh, he was estimating the probability of marriage for black women, and one of the variables. And I was married to a black woman at the time, and I thought this was fascinating. And I observed this in the churches that we went to, the black churches that we went to in, in Greensboro, my wife and I and my son. Uh, but one of the variables in that regression was, it was yes, no, we were predicting yes, no, right? The Y variables, yes, no, married, not married. And one of the explanatory variables was skin tone, how dark the woman was. And I made this observation at a, at a DCC in Greensboro to my wife and I'm, we're at a marriage seminar at DCC, and I go, I see the marriage couples on the stage, and the women uh, were lighter in, in skin tone. And I asked my wife about that because I'd never really noticed that before. And she goes, "Yeah, that's very common in uh, in the black community." And so anything can be studied as an economist, right? And that's why I like it so much. And I always tell people, you're not learning how to do something in economics; you're learning how to think objectively about the world. And hopefully, when you collect data to test theories based on economic theories, you don't look for data that will confirm what you want to confirm. You collect data and you let the data speak, and you um, use curiosity. You don't you don't force a structure on the data to get the result that you want. You just kind of let the data speak. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're exactly supposed to form the thing in such a way. That- <laughs> To get the to get the to get the answer you want. Well, that that apparently that was the case when I was at when I was teaching at, at summer uh, summer school at Duke uh, in the AEA summer program. I was one of the professors, and I was a little shocked because the professor, labor economist, uh, said, 
that you know the students did the literature reviews for this labor economist, which I thought was weird, and th that person would have her students, lots of PhD candidates, run thousands of regressions, uh, and she and this labor economist would you know like pick the eight regressions out of thousands that told the story the best, and I thought that was kind of told the right, and, told the and, right story the best. I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, most likely to get published, and I just don't, you know, if that's the way that person did it, I don't think it's the right way to do it. I mean, that's basically data mining, right? At well, that the, the University of Chicago and other places would be your your business economist looks at politics and is aghast. He says, "This is not, uh, this is not how you run a family. This is not how you run a business. This is all screwed up." Well, actually, if you really think about it. It's it's much closer to running a family, in terms of money, than you actually think. Uh, but I'm gonna have to go through that right now. But um, you know, the idea that uh, families could never live under a under a deficit or you can't borrow money, it's total BS. Because in a family, I'm gonna say a family like yours. What are you up to? Four kids? Yeah, four kids. Yeah. Uh, are you gonna go for another set of triplets? Or are you done? No, uh, I'm I'm snipped. I can't I cannot have kids unless somehow the tubes heal themselves. There's no way I, we can have kids. I have I have two <laughs> two buddies where they did reattach. By the way, of course they never. Oh went, really? They never okay. went, well, they never went and got the test to make sure they were separated enough. Of course, those guys actually. And uh, anyway, but that's another story. But where where the political economist will say that politics is run exactly like a business. It's just not a business you necessarily understand. From your business, yeah. So there's there's a difference to it. Um, I found that came. I don't know. I don't expect you to be all over this, so I'm not going to jump you. But the the whole situation with Eddie Burke being convicted last week, the Chicago longtime alderman. That's a, in my mind, uh, you and I probably from different. If we were to put all the facts in the middle of the room, and the prosecution, the amount of money on the prosecution, the amount of stuff that went down. You and I would probably come up with a study on this and put a, a book together, and the book would be fascinating as mm. to uh, what really is corruption, what isn't, what what people ex what do people normally expect from governments at the low levels? Is it really corruption, or is it service, or is it you know those kinds of things? When when people go to the alderman or whoever he is with quote a favor in mind, what are they actually asking for? Do they expect to get it for yes. free? Uh, why should they? Why should it be free? That's you know, I mean, it, without regard to the morals of the situation, uh, you know, what is a patronage system versus a civil service versus whatever you want to think a, a system is now? What are the, the positives and minuses of both? I don't think anybody. I mean, we we, we went through a lot of this stuff, and, and I found it very fascinating. And a lot of people forming these opinions now. I'm not saying they're wrong. You know, I mean, I, by by no stretch. I mean, for God's sake, if I was right all the time, I'd, <laughs> I was right a couple of times a week, I'd be happy, right? Uh, I the the whole idea that all this stuff in the background, when you don't understand any of it, and I'll I'll, I'll take the U.S. Attorney and put him on there. This is this is we're sniffing this out. This is corruption. No, wait a minute. Let me start from the beginning here. Somebody goes to somebody asking for a favor. It's outside of the the normal mechanism. Now, maybe the mechanism is, is designed like the patent laws, 
they're designed in such a way where only the, only certain people make out like a make out by the system, make out like a bandit through the system. Maybe maybe they're designed in such a way where that they that they only favor some people. You know, that's very possible from day one or the evolution or whatever. So okay, somebody looks at politics, and you you want your your the pol- the political part of your city, your state, your government to somehow respond to you. Now, do you want to get ahead of the line of somebody else? Do you want to just make sure you you keep your spot in line? Do you want to make sure you're exactly the same as somebody else and just don't get hurt? What what exactly are you are you asking from somebody? And then if, does the somebody have to go together? We have to do extra work for you. Is that really their job? And if they do, do you expect to pay? Or are you such a knucklehead you somehow think you don't pay for anything? You have to pay for a newspaper. You don't have to pay for stocks and giants. You don't have to pay for the, 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 the whole world owes you something. There's people who feel that way, right? I mean, why, sh- why should... And then, and then the question is, uh, I mean, for a, a guy like Eddie Burke, he's in the tax business. A lot of other people are in the lawyer business. Well, he, he is in the lawyer business, but he was in the tax law business. Um, would you go and expect this huge favor for him and... Uh, and again, I'm not justifying anything. I'm just asking the questions. Would you would you go to him, and would you expect, you know, 50 hours of work out of him and his people? Would you expect him to put you ahead of other people in line for permits or whatever the hell it is? And then at the end of the day, if he gives you a card for his tax law firm, of which you're going to need one, do you not even give him a phone call? You don't. You don't. You don't give him anything. You don't offer to work the precinct forum next election you don't you just think that somehow you're entitled to all this and uh and just walk away or do you you know or you were like me saying well what can i do for you because you just did something for me i mean it's a south side way of doing things right i mean uh but i other people don't i mean it, in this whole mess there, there there there's a way of living in there and i don't know what's right or what's wrong or i know when you get too far or when you don't but there's there's way more in this than the guy gave somebody a card for his tax return. And therefore, that's a asking for something in return. In return for what? It's something somebody asked you to get, and you're supposed to give them nothing. I mean, I there, I think you understand where I'm coming from here because it's it's really hard to even explain. Yeah. But there's a whole mechanism of behavior in this whole mess, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're uh, if you're engaged in these kind of corrupt activities, I think you can get away with it. Um, if you don't upset the wrong person. If you upset the wrong person, and maybe that person was getting the contract, right. you know, they're getting professional treatment for 10 years because maybe they offered a bribe that was sufficiently higher than everybody else, and all of a sudden a new guy comes in and offers a slightly higher bribe. I think you just upset the wrong person, and that person is probably storing all this information on you, and so I think the whole thing comes crumbling down once you've upset the wrong person. I think that happened with Eric, Eric, uh, the mayor of uh, New York City. Eric is now complaining about the, the the southern border because we're seeing a lot of the migrants here in New York City, right? And he, so he's complaining about it. And lo and behold, this 20, 30-year-old sexual harassment claim comes forward, right? I think Eric probably upset the wrong person right Right. and and that that's what triggers the the 
question is there corruption here right and then well, where is questions raised it they uncover it right well I, I i believe in this particular case and again i uh it got he got a little too over his skis that if, if you don't use my place this was the accusation if you don't yeah. use my place you're not even going to get a permit for like for a long mm-hmm. time well, well that, I, that, I think that comes i think being over your skis though comes from the moral hazard of not ever getting caught well right? but if you if when i you, hand you you're not caught but if I hand you a credit card or a card saying, here's my tax law practice, by the way, you're going to need somebody, how about, how about at least giving us a shout? If, I tra- yeah. if that practice charges the same amount as the other four guys in the business, where's the corruption? You're asking them yeah. to, I mean, if, if, if I were to come on, we don't have a Chevy dealer that sponsors Stocks and Jacks, but if I were to ask somebody, hey, if you're going to go buy a new car, at least at least give Hal a call. I mean, he, he sponsors the show. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. Where's the corruption? Now, if if Hal's yeah. competitive, why why wouldn't they use Hal? If, if if they if you know if they like the show and they know that they help with the show, uh, or, or, or was that just asking somebody to to uh, to give somebody a shout? Is, is that corruption? I don't see it. Do you? Or maybe am I too south side? Well, yeah, I, I don't see that. I don't think that's corruption, right? Hal's paying for is Hal paying for advertisement on your show? Yeah, well, even if as long as I, as long as everybody knows that, what's the difference? Yeah, so it's widely disseminated that Hal's you know advertising the show. Uh, Hal's rates are in line with everybody else's rates. I don't see that as corruption. No. No, I mean, so I mean, nobody, but nobody ever said that. You know, if that, it's tied to like if if the guy uh, if. If the guy that you're giving uh, the house card to um, is um, a guy that benefited benefited from a contract you gave him, and Hal's also giving you money on the side, you know, I think that's that's pretty um, blatant. Right? But I mean, so, but how many how many firms and we don't have it? How many firms? Yeah. If you went to the Stocks and Jacks website and you put an ad on there, and we get yeah. ten cents for a click through. So how is that corrupt for us? The whole rest of the world does that. Yeah. Well, you know... Um, we don't do that, by the way, but if we did, so what? That a corruption investigation that ends in a conviction probably results from the fact that it had been going on for a long period of time. And the longer you go in this down this road, and if there's lies involved, it's kind of hard to cover those lies. I and agree. I've never I'm, been I'm not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not yeah. criticizing the jury at all. What I'm saying yeah. is it's... And I, and I think... Mr. Burke probably went a little too far, would be my guess, yeah. and I wasn't there. I actually feel the jurors do the best they can. My, yeah. my point is, what exactly are we talking about here? I mean, are we talking yeah. about, is, is the whole situation, I mean, there, there, are, there is corruption? I, mean, I would feel that it would be, my line would be, the minute somebody got their permit, they walked in Eddie Burke's office with a, a, huge, a huge envelope full of $100 bills. Now, I, I, think that, I think that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Shawshank Redemption, right? With, yeah. With the, the the warden farming his really cheap labor out, and you know competitors coming in and giving an apple pie with cash underneath it, and the warden says, "I don't think I'm gonna, I don't think I'm gonna bid for that that road project, so you can have it, right?" Because he sees that like cash underneath that apple pie, you know, that's definitely corruption, right? And if you do that enough, if you do that enough. Um, and you don't get caught, a moral hazard builds, and you're more likely, because you're not getting caught, you, you kind of start believing your own hype, and you get over your skis, 
and then your your schemes get wider and broader, eventually you're going to upset some guy uh, because he didn't have a big enough bribe. Oh, sure. And I think that's what, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess I'm saying some people have got the idea that, um, you know, if I were to, I haven't done this much consulting in a while, but if I did some consulting with somebody and putting a firm together and they wanted to do a, a 401k and putting the thing together, and I said, you know, hey, you know, for the executive group, you guys are not in the 401ks, you have your own private firm, how about how about giving us a shout out? And the guy looks at me and says, why would I ever do that? Well, well <laughs> Because that's because that's what I do for a living. I mean, we, we, I, I was okay to help you out, but 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 now that now that there's something that that I do with my business normally, you, you're not even going to try me because oh no, I got to go like the Merrill Lynch. Well, why did you go to Merrill oh, Lynch? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, why did you go to Merrill Lynch? Well, I just helped you out. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like you know what do you? I mean, I guess people don't realize when somebody does something for you, you're supposed to at least be open to do something for them. Uh, you know, and somehow yeah. that. Well, I think if it's a if it's a voluntary exchange of services, goods, or ideas, and both parties are consenting adults, honestly, I don't really have a problem. Yeah, with it. I mean, I I know it can get too far, but this whole idea that anytime somebody gets paid for anything, I mean, why, why should whatever we've gone too far on this one? Hey, um, we won't have you before next week, so happy New Year, bud! I say that to the whole, the whole family happy New and Year everybody. To you too. When, when are you uh, when are you teaching? Are you off for how long? Um, I'm teaching an MBA class on Thursday nights from six to ten p.m. Oh, even like this We're week? We're not doing it this week. Oh, not doing it. Not not this week, but uh, we restart up uh, after New Year's, six to ten. What's the class on? Just out of curiosity. Uh, risk and un- risk and uncertainty modeling. Oh God. Analytics. You could yeah. use me in the back row. Yeah, I could. <laughs> oh God. Let's be futures up five. Nasdaq Nasdaq futures up twenty six. Hal, thank you for a really nice year. Hope we'll have a good one next year as well. Be right back. Be right back tomorrow morning, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.